brother Andre Marie from uh, Reconquest, uh, the radio show, and of course he is from and with the, he is the prior of the St. Benedict Center of Richmond, New Hampshire, and is no stranger to these wars of separation of church and state, and now the imposition. Of, but, but but wait a minute! But the Zionist state, Mike. Oh, but we will commit troops and all manner of blood and treasure to the to the Zionist state of Israel. Do I have that right? So we're going to keep religion out of, of but but our religion and our devotion to Zionism, that can be part of our public discourse. Do I have that correct? Brother Andre, very confusing times in which we live. How are you? Good morning, Mike. How are you today? Well, obviously I'm confused. Uh, <laughs> well... Uh, I guess I'm I'm in good company then because I'm kind of confused too. <laughs> in 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 your many many uh, many 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 scholarly studies, have you ever actually seen or come across Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptists? Um, I, you know, I I've seen it referenced so many times. I think I've I think I've read at least the excerpts, but I don't know that I've read it, read the whole thing. Here, here's a more important one. Have you ever seen his letter? It's and it's actually it's very good. It's 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 in, it's in your hometown. The letter to, that he wrote to the, the Ursulines to the Ursulines to Sister Saint Michel. Yeah. That letter actually has is if you want to run around and quote Jefferson on separation of church and state, read his letter to Sister St. Michelle of the Ursulines because he says, no, sisters, I know very well of your work. You are completely free and, you know, I support, I admire the work that you've done and no, the new Louisiana Purchase government is not coming for is not coming to shut your 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 convent down. Um, so if you if you actually want to read Jefferson on what he thought about religious orders, uh, read don't read the Danbury. Read the sister, the letter to the to the sister, which is interesting. You can I actually saw it. It's at the Catholic Museum in New Orleans. It's there. Now I don't know if that's real or if that's a fake. So you know, in case some lunatic runs in there and wants to stop oil drilling and decides to break the glass and, you know, throw goat whatever on it. <laughs> I'm assuming it's the original. Um, but in any event, this, uh, again, very confusing times in which we live. Um, but Zionism, apparently, as a religion and as a religious devotion, it stirs a religious fervor, unlike any that we see for Catholicism or any form of Christianity. Zionism, that certainly could be part of our federal government, it seems to me. Well, look, there's no there's no state that doesn't have a religion. It doesn't exist. It never existed. Communism had a religion. The Bolsheviks had a religion. It was atheism. It was militant atheism. And the patron saints were Marx and Lenin and, and um, you know, later uh, Joe Stalin. You know, all these... Look, look, look at... They have their own iconography. Look, look at the Soviet iconography. The, the, this is... If this isn't saints, if this is an occultist to saints... Then um, you know there's the, then we can't draw any analogy between a real religion and this stuff. It is a religion. We have a religion in Washington D.C. Look, it, it, all of these shrines, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Monument, these things have a religious flavor to them. Yep. You know, people keep this respectful, sort of awestruck silence in the face of many of these things. Um, and it, it really is a religion. It's and we have a national religion. Every nation has a national religion. Every single one, and that's the fallacy of having, that's the fallacy of attempting to have a, uh, a state that has no religion. 
because nature abhors a vacuum. Men are by nature religious in some way or another. Yep. It, 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 you know, Satanism is a religion too. So I'm not saying religion per se is a good thing. There's such a thing as true religion, and, there's a, and, and, and there are many things that are false religions. So um, you don't have a, a church with, you don't have a state without a church or without a, a, something analogous to a church. And in the current permutation of the United States of America, um, because the American mind was successfully colonized by, uh, a Zionist, the, by the Zionist lobby, uh, going back a very long time, before Truman, Truman got b uh, buttonholed and bullied and threatened that uh, into recognizing the state of Israel, and that's why we were the first ones in line to, to recognize the state of Israel in, in 1948. Um, and without, you know, th this is just part of our national religion now, because the, the Christian Zionists are, thanks to the Schofield Reference Bible and thanks to uh, lots of money that was poured into this effort of colonizing the American mind, with this false idea that Christians have a moral obligation to get um, unchristian Jews onto the land that was promised to Abraham, um, because that, I'll call it a heresy, it's, it is a heresy really, because what it's doing is, is denying the continuity of religion. It's denying the fact that the promises made to Abraham were fulfilled in Jesus Christ and in his church. Yep. Uh, that heresy colonized the American mind. Whether or not people are religious, they imbibed it. And, I mean, there's a secular Jewish um, journalist, I'm forgetting his name, but I can send you the, the link. He gave a, 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 a talk that was recorded and put on YouTube at the National Press Club or something like that years ago. I want to say it was 2015. I could be off. but um, And in this recording, in this lecture... He um, talked about three things that the, that, that that is three things that are essentially obstacles to peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And one is that the Israelis are convinced that they're the chosen people. Now, the the thing is, the chosen people ideology that they have now is completely false. It is an ideology. It's a false ideology. They were God's chosen people in the Old Testament, and the promises made to Abraham, as I said, were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You cannot then call them the chosen people, and this is not anti-Semitic. I'm not. I, I. I don't think that the Palestinians are the chosen people. I don't think that the Italians are the chosen people. Right. Although an argument could be made, I don't think that the Spanish are the chosen people, or the Germans, or the Poles. Or, I mean, the chosen people are the the Church, which is the continuity of the Abrahamic religion, and those other guys that claim Abraham as their father are. Our Lord was pretty clear on that, and St. John the Baptist was pretty clear on that, that God can raise up children of Abraham of these very stones, and that's us. So, um, and it's by grace, and it's not a matter of our blood, and it's not a matter of mere ancestry, and it's not a matter of, you know, it's not by the will of the flesh, nor, nor uh, by the will of man, but, but, uh, but of God. We're born of God. That's what baptism does for us. If we don't believe these things then we're not Catholics, and, and therefore we're not really Christian. And this idea that it's the duty of a Christian to migrate Khazarite European Jews to relocate and to um, displace 
people who have been there for hundreds of years, regardless of, regardless of the unfortunate events that happened in the seventh century uh, that got many of them there. Um, but do you think all those Palestinian Christians are 100% Arab in their blood? I think not. Um, they, they mixed, the, this is the thing about the Arab conquest, they mixed in with the local populations. The Jews of Lebanon, I mean, excuse me, the Arabs of Lebanon don't look like the Arabs of Egypt for the most part and don't look like the Arabs that you'll find uh, necessarily in Saudi Arabia. They mixed in with local populations. Uh, so there's, there's not a pure uh, um, um, Arab blood there, whatever that might mean. So it, it, there's, a, there's a heresy here, and as always, when a heresy becomes political, when a heresy becomes political, it becomes dangerous. Mark my words, that's history telling us this. Yes. Lutheranism became political. And what were the results? The sangui very sanguinary period in European history. Calvinism became political. Um, and lots of people died. Um, Islam is, is inherently political. They don't distinguish between church and state in Islam. And it is um, perhaps the most sanguinary um, false religion that exists. But Zionism is uh, also a, a politicized heresy. And therefore, you end up getting um, blood. That's just what happens. When, 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 when heresy becomes politicized, you get blood. I was thinking of you Sunday, brother, when I was uh, writing my, uh, my little blurb for the announcements for, uh, before Mass at Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And I was rereading the story of uh, the martyr, um, uh, uh, Pope Martin I. And the monothelite heresy. Did I say that right? That's, is that right? Monothelite, right? Yes. Okay. And this is just an example of, of what you say, that the emperor of Constantinople took the side of the monothelites. And when Pope Martin went, uh, after he was elected, went, I'm pretty sure that that's a heresy, but I'm going to convene a council of 105 bishops and we're going to talk about it. And they came to the conclusion that, no, our Lord did not have one solitary, was it one solitary will or will? will. will. One solitary will, no, he was the hypostatic union was real. And uh, they produced two documents basically declaring anyone that believed this was a heresy, was, was anathema. Um, and, of course, the emperor then sent an assassin to kill Pope Martin. I mean, these are serious things here. The Holy Father is saying mass, and an assassin gets into the mass. He's on his knees, or, or, or however they were doing it at the time, waiting to receive the, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, holy body and the precious blood of our Lord. And he's going to kill him. He's going to kill Pope St. Martin I. He's got the dagger in his hand. He's going to do, do it. But, of course, the Holy Ghost strikes him blind, and he can't get away with it. But in any event, this tells the story of how the emperor got involved in the religion, uh, in, in, in the, the, the religion or in the practice of the uh, religion here, to the point where he wanted to get his way for his heresy so he could practice it. He was willing to kill the Holy Father. Yeah. He tried to. Yeah, and and, uh, and and that heresy actually was the invention of the emperor. Um, he basically conspired with the because, it, yeah, long long story, but it's actually a fascinating story, and I'll tell the I'll tell the Reader's Digest version of it okay. if you don't mind. No, I love it. So the um, th there was a terrible heresy that was ravaging the East. It was called Monophysitism, 
the phusis being the Greek word for uh, nature. We get physics from it. Um, and monophysitism denied the, human, the sacred humanity of our Lord, full stop. And it said, well, it's more complicated than that, but it basically said that Jesus had only a divine nature. He's a divine person with only a divine nature, not a human nature. Now, it, it was the condemnation of that heresy that gives us the formula that Jesus Christ is true God and true man, right? Well, so they denied this, and they asserted that he had only the divine will, and yeah, okay, he was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary really is the mother of God, um, but her, but his humanity was subsumed into the divinity. It was like a drop of water sort of absorbed into the ocean of the divinity, and you can't really call him man anymore. So it denied that he had a human uh, intellect and human will, and that he had a human um, human operations, and it's a real problem. And so you had fathers of the church giving us formulae like, what was not assumed was not redeemed. In other words, if Jesus Christ didn't assume a true humanity in the incarnation, then we weren't really, then we weren't redeemed. Jesus is 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 the bridge that you know. He really is the Pontifex. He's the bridge builder between heaven and earth because it, because he's both God and man, and it's in in that way that he reconciled God and man. So we get a lot of rich patristic texts that come from this this error, and they explain, uh, you know, what was so wrong with monophysitism. But the problem was that Syria was full of monophysites. And the emperor had a problem on his hands, a practical political problem. Heresy in any Christian um, state, uh, whether it's an empire, whether it's a tiny kingdom, is going to be socially divisive. And it's going to be destructive. It always was. And people think, you know, how is it that you can condemn heresy? That's awful. Well, the, the <laughs> governing authorities always had an interest in condemning heresy and converting heretics even from a political standpoint, because it tore apart the body politic. It destroyed the social fabric and therefore the unity of the state. There you go. And when you consider the fact that the empire was considered the temporal manifestation of the spiritual reality of the church, it's the, the, the old metaphor is this, the, 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 the state is the body and the church is the soul. And that's, I mean, I believe that. That's what, that's what uh, integralists believe. Um, and uh, if we, if we, uh, if we, and that's one reason why we know we can't really have unity in the, in the United States of America. Not the kind of hegemony that we ought to have. It's not. It's simply not possible unless it's converted. But but ba back to the to the empire at this time, uh, the the monophysite heresy threatened the unity of the body politic, and there was a very great danger lurking just beyond the border, and that was Islam. And the emperor well knew this. So he's like, look, we've got to do something to unite the empire. We've got to do something to bring these monophysites, because they were intransigent. They didn't want to accept uh, the condemnations of the Council of Chalcedon. And uh, so they came up with this compromise, and the compromise was a new heresy. <laughs> it was kind of a semi a hemi-demi-semi hemi-demi-semi. <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, like a hemi-semi-demi-quaver. All right. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the, that, that was known as monothelitism because what they said was, in, in our Lord Jesus Christ, there is only one 
will and operation. And the will and operation, energeia is the Greek word for operation. They use it a lot in Greek theology. We Latins don't tend to use it. There is only one will and operation in Jesus, and that's divine. And they proved it with, and, and, and the, their argumentation was very bad-willed and very wicked, because what they said is, well, if you deny this, then you're saying that, that, that Jesus' human will contradicted the divine will, which is absolutely not what the Orthodox were saying. What they were saying, what we uh, were saying, was that there, there was a perfect, um, that Jesus, as man, perfectly subjected his will to the will of God. There was a perfect subjection there. He's the new Adam. He undid what Adam did, right? With his will. So in the agony in the garden, he says, not my will, but thine thy be will. done. Right, so thine. Th that was, and that was the standard sort of proof text, if you will, the locus classicus for the orthodox argument against um, monothelitism. But anyway, it was a political compromise. And that's actually a lesson um, for... Going for some sort of expediency, going for, go, going for the quick expedient to fix a problem, oftentimes creates a much larger problem. And that monothelite heresy was itself a problem, which had to be condemned. And it was the weakness of, I believe it was Pope um, Honorius, in condemning this that led to the martyrdom of St. Uh, Martin I. But yeah, he was. I mean, he was a, an example of a pope who, who was martyred way after the time of martyrs. Right, so people can get confused because it was uh, 649 A.D., according to Butler. That uh, that was the time. Yeah, but and, and, and what was going on in the East in those days, right? Islam. I talked, right, right? I talked about those unfortunate events of the 7th century. Well, this is exactly... <clears throat> and so he lost Syria. The emperor lost Syria. And by the way, the same... the same. If I'm not mistaken, that same emperor was the, was the one who defeated Kashavis. He defeated Persia. So he defeated the Persians and got back the relic of the true cross. And, um, but not long after that, he kissed Syria goodbye. Um, and because, because, of course, the, the weakening of the, of the political fabric of the Eastern Empire made it susceptible to invasion by those mad Bedouins uh, from the East who, who successfully defeated it. And heres heresy always does this. It's like, it's like when the Greeks rejected the union of uh, Florence. What happened? Constantinople fell. It was awful. Yeah, uh, if you want to read the story of Pope St. Martin I, uh, you can, uh, well, I should have published my little geography, but my, I, I leave a lot out. I suggest getting it from Reverend Alban Butler's Lives of the Saints, Doctors and Martyr, uh, Martyrs of the Church, because his is really complete. Um, it's interesting that after his sentence, his death sentence was commuted, uh, he was banished to, I can't remember the name of the little town, but basically I looked it up and it's in what we call Crimea today. Yeah. And that's where uh, he died. The Cursonesis. The Latins called it Cursonesis. Okay. And it was the Siberia for the Roman Empire. Ah. So if you got if you got banished to Cursonesis, that was kind of like the Russians sending you to Siberia. <laughs> but ultimately, after he died, his relics are transported, uh, translated back to, to Rome, and uh, that's where and that's where he is honored, uh, Pope Saint Martin the First. A fascinating story, and you and you nailed it, brother. What a what a, what an amazing little epic in time. It's what's going on there. 
um, which is why you know we never tire of the uh, of the study of history. Let, let's get to, 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 to let's let's bring this back to twenty twenty three. Maggie, would you grab Brother's piece at Catholicism.org, or if Brother has it open, you can grab it and throw that link in there. Bipartisan murderers and war hawks are a sanguinary governing class. This is a uh, a very well done. Uh, it has the gift of, uh, of brevity. It's not long. It's short. Um, you quote uh, my buddy. Uh, I don't know if you've ever met him. I have. and was on his uh, television show uh, exactly one half of a dozen times, and that's my, uh, my old buddy and my old friend who I haven't talked to in far too long, Andrew P. Napolitano. Judge, judge, you all know him as Judge Napolitano. Unconstitutional. U.S. presidents restrain personal liberty, kill with impunity. And this is his piece about uh, the Biden regime is killing people openly in Ukraine and Gaza and secretly around the world, has continued to use the killing machinery crafted by President Bush, expanded by Obama and employed by Trump. These presidents have used drones and other unmanned projectiles to target people in foreign countries with which the United States is not at war. Uh, I'm just giving you this because Judge Knapp just puts it very succinctly. They have, uh, they have done this notwithstanding the prohibition against uh, taking life, liberty, or property from any person, not just any America, but any person in the Constitution each has sworn to uphold, and they have done so pursuant to secret rules that they themselves have established for these killings. Last year, 11 senators, 39 members of the House of Representatives, sent a harshly worded letter to, to regime leader Biden asking him to stop the secret but not the public killings. As of this writing, he has not publicly applied. And, and, and then Judge Knapp gives the backstory. You know, brother, I cut my teeth when I left the neocon ranks in 2007 and 2008 on Judge Knapp and Ron Paul and others. Uh, and I learned about all this. And it's simply shocking and terrifying to know that the government of the United States, the government of the United Kingdom, um, probably the government of any uh, nation that's in the EU and has an air force, um, sends its intermediaries, its creations, its implements of war around the world, usually in marching in lockstep to some Luciferian commander, whether it's an American or someone else at one of these uh, the, these horrific uh, enclaves, the World Economic Forum, the UN or whatever, and they indiscriminately kill civilians. There is the story of Anwar Awalaki. I'm not an Awalaki apologist. I know what Anwar Awalaki did. I'm fully aware of what Anwar Awalaki did and the Americans that he killed, and that the, 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 that in his very bodacious, and the Muslims do this. They they know that we read their propaganda, so they do it intentionally. In his very bodacious, you know, I'm coming to kill Americans and all that. He was a, he was a guy. He, he, he was a, a graduate student of the University of Arizona, I want to say. Anyway, to get Anwar Al-Awlaki, I don't know, do you know this story, brother? Do you know what they did to yeah, him? Yeah, well, he, he's the one we basically vaporized with a Hellfire missile while he was sipping coffee at a Yemeni uh, coffee, uh, coffee bar, right? Well, before that, they mistakenly placed him at a teenager's birthday party. And they incinerated that apartment building. He wasn't in it. He was not in the building. He we incinerated with a Hellfire missile uh, seven teenage boys 
uh, a few of the of the mothers who had gone there toward the birthday party and whoever the adults were, and the two people or the two floors below the third, because it was on the third floor of an apartment building in Yemen, and the people that were residing in floor number two and floor number one. We raised it to the ground, completely and totally annihilated and destroyed it, then sent tanks in there to go surround the town and go clean up the carnage so that uh, we could not be recorded for a war crime. Then... They incinerated a Lockheed at the coffee shop. And by the way, they took out another two dozen civilians with uh, supposedly with a Lockheed. So this is kind of the most uh, high profile, one of the more high profile examples of this. Ladies and gentlemen, the people that were gathered in Washington yesterday waving their little, uh, their little fake Star of David flags, they applaud this and want it. Oh, yeah. They want, yeah. They, they are, these are your fellow citizens, which, which is why I say you should be mortified, terrified of this, because all it takes is for the one, all it takes, create a false flag. You can make me, you can make someone, you can make any one of us a new David Koresh, wrap us in the Confederate flag, make the case that we go back to all my social media, find out what you need or just place it there, make me out to be the, this, this ravenous villain that's coming to kill everyone if I'm not taken out, and then they turn their guns on us. And don't well, think and, that they won't do it. We talked about the national religion, Mike, and, and one, of the, one of the ways that we get catechized into the national religion is by films. Because, of course... Most people are too stupid to learn through books anymore. So we get catechized through films. And, I mean, back in the day, Rambo. Remember Rambo riding with the Mujahideen? So um, this was the, the romanticizing of the great freedom fighters, the Mujahideen. Now, we've talked about them before, and, and we know that that's how the United States basically created Osama bin Laden. Because he was one of the Mujahideen. We radicalized a generation of Afghans on the merits uh, and the glories of jihad. That's and right. that was in the Reagan administration. And th uh, th so this was something that we did that got massive blowback. Um, but when you look, so, but, but the Rambo thing is my point. You know, you see Rambo riding, you know, bare chested on a horse, you know, with the Mujahideen. And it's like, yeah, America. And <laughs> the same thing is done. With you know the the, the 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 don't and don't don't think that the State Department or some agency of government had nothing to do with that. Don't think that for a minute. And, and I'm, not, I'm not giving you a command. I'm just making the general comment. Oh. One would be silly to think that the State Department didn't have that. We know from some of these Hollywood guys that they get approached by the State Department for this, that, or the other uh, propaganda angle that they want to see, um, you know, foisted from Hollywood. But we do. But with the with the Arab world, of course, we we have all these films, you know, that talk about, you know, terrorism, and that get us all, you know, threatened and scared about the boogeyman of terrorism. And I'm not denying that terrorism is a real thing. We should fight terrorism. Maybe one way to fight terrorism is to keep terrorists out of the country instead of. As is documented, the, 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 the United States government did knowingly allowed terrorists to roam around inside the country when they had credible intel, more than credible intel on them. And the first time that the Trade Center was bombed, they knew it was going to happen. They were warned, right? But they let these guys go free. Why? Well, presumably they were doing it so that they'd have some pretext for, for, for a later war. But this kind of thing is done all the time. They let these guys into the country. They quote-unquote watch them as they as they commit crimes, and then that's an excuse for them to ratchet up the, the funds that go to the military-industrial complex. But, the, with, with, but with the film thing, 
think of the um, the Mission Impossible films and right. that whole genre of films. We're always taught that, that what does that do? It glorifies the deep state. It just glorifies the deep state because you see the good guys going out there performing ridiculous stunts um, and killing off the bad guys, you know, with extrajudicial killings and all this stuff. They're glorifying the CIA, they're glorifying the Mossad, they're glorifying all that stuff. Heck, it goes back to James Bond. The author of the, of the novels, Ian Fleming, was getting money from the United States government to glorify, uh, what is he, an, an MI6 agent, James Bond? He's an MI6, and that is, abs- that is, uh, that is demonstrably provable and true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's, it's accepted. People know, that, I mean, well, pe- literate people who, who, who pay attention and who are interested in these things know this. And the point is, there's this constant romanticism of of this of the of this um, figure who's the kind of he's he's a cross between a, a, a rake and a messiah, who um, has he's urbane, he's sophisticated, and all that stuff, and um, he goes after the bad guys, and of course, extrajudicial killings all over the place, and people just look at this and say, well, that must be necessary to keep us safe. And and thank God, you know, thank you for your service, Mr. Bond, you know, as as he goes off into the sunset with the latest floozy at the end of the film. Which is why they had to invent this term, national security. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. like, what is national, what, what does that even mean? What is, here, I'll give you an example of national security. It's, it's how it's how Nikki Haley justifies anything. That's yeah, yeah. yeah uh, or, or I should call her, I should call her um, um, Dick Cheney in three-inch heels. That's Dick Cheney in <laughs> three-inch heels. Um, and then people go, what was wrong with Dick Cheney? Oh, Darth Cheney, nothing. Absolutely nothing. No, no, no. Uh, national security would be, you would have this thing called a border, and you would zealously guard it from people crossing it that you you did not invite in. Otherwise, why even call it a border? Just call, just call it a suggestion. Look, we're just kind of suggesting to the rest of the world that the Rio Grande is the border between Texas and Mexico, and I think that's the state of Chihuahua there, actually. New Mexico and, uh, and, and Mexico and Arizona and California. You guys, you, you can choose if you wish. You can honor it, but you don't really have to. This land is your land. This land is my land. You, you can come right on back in here. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're hashing out some of the of these old problems but the we, folks we live in times where people that openly openly celebrate and tell the world of their love and their devotion to the prince of this world are running the show <laughs> what, what, what do you think satan's intention what what, what is the, the is the dark lord if you will what is Prince of this world's intention for the rest of us. Well, let me assure you, it's not the beatific vision. So, why does all this matter? Why do you? Well, uh, uh, this is the other thing. Well, there's nothing I can do about it. Well, you can certainly raise your voice so that when you stand in front of God at judgment, you went like, I didn't go along with that. <laughs> I said no. I, I prayed for an end to this. This is serious stuff here, um, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I was reading from that piece. And Judge Knapp wrote for the um, uh, for the Washington Times. If I go back to Catholicism.org and go to your piece, and speaking of Gaza, there uh, you you uh, referenced an informative piece at the Hill newspaper: Israel Israel's chickens come home to roost. 
reveals what the governing class of Israel, including Netanyahu, why is this guy a piece of satanic work, were up in the decades-long lead to the atrocities. Now, I'm just going to stop right here um, because there's something that you people, apparently you missed during the Crusade COVID Chronicles. The Israelis were the one of the first countries went into a complete and total government-ordered lockdown. Israeli citizens were told that they could not leave their home. You thought it was bad. They misdirected us by casting our attention to the Australians, right? Australians were told they couldn't leave their homes. It was so terrible in Australia. You have no idea of what they were doing in Israel because Israel was the leader in all this. I mean, they were they were perfecting that the government is, is king and you will obey. And as soon as the lockdown, the quota part of the lockdowns were lifted, they were only lifted on the condition that Israeli citizens were forcefully and they were actually coerced into going to centers where the Pfizer vaccine was administered to them. They were they were recorded, their IDs were scanned, they were they were sent notices, you are due for your second dose. They were all basically coerced or forced into two doses. Many now many of them died. They were, they were, many of them got sick, they were adverse reactions. Don't worry about it. Uh, you're the only ones that are uh, that are immune or 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 aren't required to go get the booster. Then they got the third booster. And by the time we get to May, mid-May, and Alex Berenson, this is this is the story that Alex Berenson was bringing to the New York Times editorial desk, brother. This is what got him kicked out of the New York Times. Because Alex Berenson was going like, there is something horrible going on in Israel with, the, with vaccinations and with, uh, here in the U.S., you have V-A-E-R-S, the Vaccine Adverse Effect Reporting System, right? They don't have that in Israel, but they do have a way to report it. And Berenson was going, something horrible is happening in Israel. And the data that he was getting out there was suggesting that there was more, there was a mortality rate associated with vaccination. Well, what did Berenson get for? And he's a Jew. What did Berenson get for his pursuit of the truth? The New York Times told him to stand down, stop looking into it. They weren't going to publish it any longer. And basically, he needed to go, you know, go work the obituary desk or whatever. And of course, Berenson, to his credit, said no. And kept reporting. This is the real story. Remember Mike Church? Mike Church shows to 2021 going, what happened to Israel? Yeah. And, you know, the, the, poor, the poor little boy, he was six at the time, who was the poster child for, for Israel getting vaxxed. Um, he died of a heart attack. Sure did. Found in a bathtub after suffering a heart attack um, this year. He was eight years old. And, um, yeah, that made big news. In fact, we, I put a little news item on our website, and the thing's been viewed for like, like 8,000 times since I put it up a few weeks ago. Uh, uh, but the, um, it, it's, a, it's a big deal. I mean, you know, the, yeah, so Israel, which, you know, the, the, they call it the democracy, which it's a multi-tiered system. I mean, the, the, you know, if you're, if you're a Jew, you have certain rights. If you're an, what they call an Israeli Arab, you don't have the rights, full rights of citizenship that the Jews have. And then, if, of course, if you live in the occupied territories, you're a non-citizen and you're garbage. And that's how you get treated. Um, witness the West Bank, witness Gaza, um, et cetera. But this is, um, yeah, so the, 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 the chosen people um, identity 
even among secular Jews, is there. Now you might say, but they don't, but they don't believe in the religion. How can they believe in that? Well, I, can, I live in New England, and I can tell you that the, the Calvinists who lost belief in the Trinity and lost belief in, in religion, period, they still have some, they still have a sort of political messianism that's like a secularized Calvinism. And this explains a lot of American politics. Um, we, you know, we are the, sh the bright, shining city seated on a hill. Even the people who don't believe in God have, many of them, many of them have this crazed idea of American exceptionalism. Well, what is that? It's that we're the new chosen people. And that's why, you know, when the American settlers, when the British settlers came over here and the Puritans and all that stuff, we could treat the Indians like garbage. Why? Because we're the chosen people and, and they are like the Ammonites and the, and, the, and the Moabites and the Jebusites and all these people that need to be killed. And the ideology is still there in Israel because, you know, there were times when, and I did a, I did a, a show on this, I did a reconquest on this. There were times when God commanded everyone, men, women, and children, to be slaughtered. And there were, uh, and, and even animals, okay? Now, those, there, there are a handful of incidents of that, of that type in the Old Testament. And it's something that gives scholars, biblical scholars, uh, kind of angst, and they have to address this very delicately, whatever. I did a show on it, and I interviewed uh, an Old Testament scholar, a Catholic seminary professor who's an Old Testament scholar. And at the time, anyway, he was teaching at the fraternity seminary in Denton, Nebraska. And uh, there, there, there is a lot to this, and you have to study it. But it was only justified when God explicitly commanded it. Now, remember, God has a right of life and death, right? He's the author of life, and he can say when each man, woman, and child meets death. So he commanded the Israelites to do this. And when you look at the surrounding history, there were always these, these conditions that... Very, very rarely does anybody know about them. All they know about is the supposed atrocities. They don't understand that that these people had had many opportunities to leave. That they, in some cases, they explicitly knew that they were on land that had been promised um, to Abraham and his descendants, and that those people were coming back. They were allowed to leave, and then when they chose not to, uh, well, then God sort of sent them in, and I'm forgetting the Hebrew word that, 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 uh, identifies, that identifies it, but they, they refused to leave and God g gave, not on permission, but a direct command to the Israelites to do this. Now, if God's not commanding that, you don't do it. The, the, uh, the, the modern state of Israel seems to have taken this as carte blanche to do to anyone. So they will cite these instances in the Old Testament. So just as the American sort of, uh, old, and you know, Puritanism and much of Protestantism is Old Testament Christianity. That's a great name. I think, I don't know if E. Michael Jones came up with that, but somebody came up with this, this concept of much of Protestantism is Old Testament Christianity. If you look at the um, Bohemian Brethren, they were kind of like this. You look at the Calvinists here, they were definitely like this. The whole shining city on the hill ideology was very much Old Testament Christianity. Keep in mind, these are people who, who used by choice Old Testament names, not New Testament saints' names. 
um, and they looked at themselves as the Israelites in this in, in, being sent to the promised land and conquering the local inhabitants so they could do whatever they wanted to them. They weren't like the Catholic missionaries who wanted to convert them, and it was the Jesuits that defended the Indians from all these atrocities when the U.S. government literally violated every single treaty we ever made with any of the Indian nations. So, um, the, the, and that's why, that's why Father, um, the, the, the Belgian Jesuit, uh, that, uh, Desmet, that's why Father Desmet was able to negotiate a peace treaty between Sitting Bull and the U.S. government, because they trusted the Jesuits. Unfortunately, that treaty got later violated. Um, my point is that this, this sort of Old Testament Christianity that we have in the United States is a secular parallel, or is a parallel, and, and even in its secular permutations with what's going on in Israel among the believing Zionists in Israel and among the secularized Zionists in Israel, um, this ideology is there, that we're somehow the chosen and we, we can do whatever the heck we want to anybody uh, to secure our, our means. And, you know, it's like the, the whole Joe Doyle, I don't know if you've interviewed him yet in part two of his uh, ar uh, article. It's on, coming up. Okay, so a guy just left a comment on our website. He said, yeah, but it doesn't matter. When you're dealing with uh, evil fascism, uh, you have to, you, your job is to win. Now, I haven't answered the guy yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, okay, well, that's, I hope that was a sarcastic comment. I hope you were joking. It's <laughs> like a caricature. But if it's not, um, you have just articulated the, the moral atrocity known as the end justifies the means. And I suggest you apply for a job in the Nikki Haley administration should she win. <laughs> uh, because that is exactly, that's exactly the, so they look at these things in the Old Testament and they think they understand it and they don't. And they say, well, that justifies it. I mean, there we go. You know, kill, kill, kill them all, let God sort them out, you know. And uh, just go in there like Rambo and shoot up everybody and, you know, or, or use a Hellfire missile because Rambo might get shot at, right? That's so right. Use a Hellfire missile. That. And you can get some video gamer, you know, in, in California or whatever, um, incinerating people at cafes halfway around the world. And this happens, of course, um, uh, as part of what's called American foreign policy. You know, I, I was going to say that you mentioned American exceptionalism. Uh, I used to be uh, kind of well-schooled in this. And the uh, the school that came from, there's a disagreement as to who the author of it is. Some people say it's this guy named Leo Strauss. Others say, no, it wasn't Strauss. Strauss was a very complicated individual, and he was a Jew. Um, uh, he had some of the ideas. No, it was his disciple, Harry Jaffa. And then others say, yeah, yeah, but uh, Goldwater was this. Goldwater was a Jew, and, and, and this and that and the other. Here's one thing that we can be certain about, that all neocons agree on, and that is the primacy of the existence of the United States of America and its role in the world from the time that they reared their ugly heads to today. It's, it, it, their rhetoric is drenched with it. America can't withdraw from the world stage. America can't do this. As long as the United America is, if America is strong, then China won't invade Taiwan. If America is this and that and the other, um, this is complete and total hubris. This is acting with the end of the, the bellicose, the pointed end of the spear first, and then asking questions about who you pointed it at later. It's the fact that you have the sword, brother. 
And this is the uh, the thing. I've often uh, said this when it comes to American exceptionalism. No, there are exceptional Americans. There is nothing unique about the United States other than we have figured out how to brandish power and aim it at the rest of the world in a manner in which no previous civilization figured out how to do. That's our uniqueness. And if you're comfortable with that, of incinerating 13-year-old boys at birthday parties in Yemen, that that's your calling card, good luck with that at judgment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and that, this, this is one of, you know, I've been wrestling in my own mind because, as you know, we talked not too long ago about uh, false binaries, right? Uh, that that these false dichotomies where where you know we got to put a white hat on this guy or the other guy in a right. conflict, and that of course goes back to the Rambo thing. That goes back to the to the to, to uh, Mission Impossible. You know, we get propagandized that way. There is a good guy, there are bad guys, and we got to be on the side of the good guys. And what by you know whatever it takes, what what by whatever means, you know, again the end justifies the means. And of course, all this is, is it's a cynical ploy because I think a lot of the, what they're doing is they're playing off of a sort of caricature of virtue. And the people who are profiting from it, literally profiting from it, are making money in the munitions industry and oil or whatever it is. Hand over fist. Yes, hand literally. over fist. While they're impoverishing the American taxpayer who's footing the bill for all those munitions getting lobbed into these countries. And meanwhile, we're getting people to hate us more and more and more and more and more. And since we're not paying attention to the southern border, some of those people who hate us could be sneaking in oh, there. They are, oh, they're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got sleeper cells probably all over the country of radical jihadis. And guess what? That'll only play into, into their the hands. further permutation of this thing. When, when you know, Abdul Salim or whatever ends up blowing himself up at a 7-Eleven, after you know recording some uh, uh, manifesto, well then bingo, more money to Israel, more money. You know it just it, it's a self-perpetuating series of atrocities. But but the the thing is, as somebody who doesn't fall for the false binaries, I'm wrestling in my head all the time with the objection. Yeah, but if you're not. Not not all the time. Trust me, I have other things I think about. But <laughs> if you're if you're not supporting Israel, then you must be for the Muslims. And it's a stupid thing to contend, uh, but it's a stupid claim to make. But you know, the the question then becomes: Well, wait a minute. Maybe supporting Israel will keep Muslim power in check. And the answer is staring us in the face that that's wrong. Because Benjamin Netanyahu and and whoever Joe Biden's actual handlers are that, are that are dictating our policy, they have done something, and I think it was Judge Napolitano, or it may have been um, uh, Tim's, Tim, what's that guy's name, the Marine uh, Weapons Inspector, who's been doing a lot of commentary lately, the guy who talks a lot about the Ukraine-Russia thing. He's been talking about this, too. Um, it may have been he, or it may have been, I don't know, one of these guys that Napolitano was interviewing. Um the point was made that the, the United States and Benjamin Netanyahu have done something that nobody in the Muslim world has been able to achieve for a thousand years, and that is to unite the Sunni and the Shia world. They have united the Sunni and the Shia That's world against Scott all Ritter of is who you're thinking of. Scott Ritter is the guy I'm thinking of. I think he may have been the one that said it. 
or or it, it may have been um, uh, Colonel McGregor. I think it was Colonel McGregor. It was. It was Colonel McGregor. So Colonel McGregor said that, yeah, we've united. So the, the danger here is the Turks, right? Keep in mind, the Turks were allies of Israel. Brother, well, that's changed with Erdogan. I was just reading Hilary Belloc's The Crusades yesterday. Mm-hmm. And if you're, uh, you probably read it, but not recently, maybe. Um, I didn't read the whole thing. I just, I, I, I got a, a, an edition of it. And I'm going like, wow, I had, I'd never seen this before. In the forward, you know, it, 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 Belloc is so complex of a guy. Golly. He says, and I, and I wish I had it here in front of me because I would quote it to you because I think it's worthy of, of what we're talking about. He says, let there be no mistake in the, in the work that I'm, you're about to read that the first crusade was an unequivocal success for Christ and for Christendom. He goes, but it was an incomplete success because it did not drive Islam from the Arab. And then he goes on to detail, okay, the second crusade, this, the third crusade, because he said that, Belloc said that for the first crusade to have been a success, it would have removed the threat of the Mohammedan from ever reproaching again onto the uh, the Holy Land. Uh, and I wish I had it here in front of me because I don't want to misquote Belloc and I don't want to sound like a genocidal lunatic that, that he and that he was in, um, that, uh, that he was kind of implying that because he wasn't. But he was basically saying that he and and now brother, I think this is where you will find the, what Belloc said interesting because he's dealing with Islam as a heresy. And he's going, if the heresy of Islam would have been eliminated, okay, now I have it right. That's his point. If the heresy of of Islam would have been eliminated, like the Monothelite, the Nestorianism, and all all the other heresies, then the Arab would, uh, would, uh, he would have had a choice. He could have converted to the one true holy Catholic apostolic faith, or maybe another heresy would have been down the road. But at least Islam as a heresy would have been removed. And that was the failure of the first crusade. And Because you mentioned Islam and the Turks. Folks, you don't want the Ottoman Empire to be the Ottoman Empire again, especially with nukes. No, it, it, and look, the Turkish soldiers are competent and and they're well trained and they have all kinds of ar- good armaments. I mean, I'm going by what what um, Colonel McGregor. That's what McGregor says. And um, you know, the, they keep in mind they were these people have memory. They're not Americans. They're not brain addled on TV like we are. They have memories. <laughs> they have a national identity. Yes, they, they have do. An actual national identity. And Erdogan is actually, although there's all this stuff about celebrating Ataturk, keep in mind, Kamel Ataturk, who changed his name to Ataturk, I'm forgetting his real name, but um, Kamel Ataturk um, is the one who brought Turkey into the modern era after the fall of the uh, Ottoman Empire. He gave them the Latin alphabet because Turkish is like impossible to write with an Arabic alphabet. The, the word, the sounds just don't match the Arabic alphabet. So he gave them a modified Latin alphabet with all these crazy diacritical marks that they add to it. And it increased literacy in Turkey and everything. And, but he was a secularist, right? He was a secularist. That's going away. Um, uh, Erdogan is the head of the Muslim Brotherhood. So he's not a, um, a secularist. And the keep in mind that the Turks lost 
the entire Holy Land. When Brother Francis was born, when Fakhri Malouf was born in 1913, he was born a citizen of the Ottoman Empire. One of his earliest childhood memories was going up to the roof of his house and watching Turkish soldiers march through Mashra, the little village he was in, after they were defeated at World War, after World War One. Mm. Now those folks have a memory. They think, and this is this is Scott. This is um, yeah. This is Colonel McGregor. He suspects that the Turks think, uh, at least the Turkish leadership think that yeah, Palestine's ours. You know because you know they had it when they were the Ottoman Empire, and that's what led to the Crusades when the Ottoman Empire it wasn't the Arabs who were fighting primarily. It was the Turks. Turks. And the um, and and because the, they were the ones who were killing the the pilgrims and so forth that led to the led to the Pope finally saying okay we're gonna have these crusades, but um, you, you know what what we've done and going back to my big point what was my point before the the idea that well we have to keep Israel funded because they're our allies in the region they're the only democracy in the region and they're keeping the Muslim world in check. Right now, they're uniting the Muslim world against themselves, but more importantly, to, against us. And Iran has 90 million people in it. They, they have sophisticated, uh, a sophisticated culture. They have engineers. They have, they have, uh, they're educated people. These are not idiots. These are not, you know, uh, camel jockeys uh, who are uneducated illiterates. Um, and the Turks have a, has a, have a culture too, an ancient culture. I don't like it. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we'll take the coffee part. But my, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, we did. I mean, um, but but when you when you when if you could unite Iran and Turkey, you know, Iran is the Shia power and Turkey is the, the, the Sunni power. If you could unite them. Uh, oh my goodness! You've got an awful lot assimilated look, there. Look what Bush and plus Cheney, all the little satellites around them. Look what Bush and Cheney were successful in doing in Iraq. Muqtada al Sadar was a, a Sunni, and he was able to unite the Shias, the Iraqi Shias, and they were just like, "We just want the United States to get the hell out of Iraq." Yeah. Hey, folks, look at the Arab world on a map. As a matter of fact, if you get Hilary Belloc's book, Heresies, we have it at the Founders Trading Post, or I know where we used to have it, because Tan republished it. Um, the, he saves the last two chapters. What are the last two chapters? I mean, that's not a quiz, brother, I'll tell you. So in order, the last two chapters, where he says, I saved the best for last. Here are the, who are, here are the two worst heresies ever. Number coming in, and here on Casey's Casey's Heresy <laughs> Countdown, coming in at number two, it is Protestantism, and then he says that the worst heresy ever is Islam, and he says it, the church failed to put it down; it's still out there. So you have the two worst. Her what? Are, what? Are, <laughs> okay, I know that you're not a fan of saying that Antichrist is near, that we haven't met the conditions, but man. He, he's got to be, he, he's circling. <laughs> Jesus has Antichrist. All right, be at the ready, guy. <laughs> I'm going to send you, but just not yet. You had the two worst, the, 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 the worst heresies, according to Belloc. One is driving Zionism. The other is just driving a resurgence of Islam. 
Um, neither one of them is Orthodox or Catholic or Orthodox. Uh, one is closer to the other. Um, but neither one of them wants to ally because both reject, of course, the, the uh, Pontifex, uh, the Holy Father, right? Both reject the, uh, uh, the Pope here. Um, you have them seemingly poised at odds. But as I was pointing out, or I pointed out on Twitter that, you know, they, they shadow ban me on these things. And I'm like, you had 396,000 people, quote, Christian, most of them, quote, Christians, who were cheering on the enemy of Christ's church. The Talmudic Jew is not your buddy. He does not agree with you. He does not think like you. He thinks that your Lord and Savior was nothing more than a third-rate uh, Susain prophet. He thinks that the Blessed Virgin Mary was not blessed at all, that she was, uh, she got married at a young age, and because she was so with the world and was such a, uh, a floozy. Don't, don't, don't say it. Don't yeah, okay, well, that she went but out and did, you know, it's, it's horrible. That she went out and did things like this. These people are not your friends. They're not your allies. They were enemies of Christ and his church. This is what is apparent. Well, so is Islam. <laughs> so is Islam. So, wow, brother, we're way over time. And I know you've got a, you've got a school to run and a priory to... Well, thankfully, I don't run the school anymore. I just teach in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is on tonight's... Okay, I can't wait to hear, and I honestly do not know. What did you create for tonight's reconquest? Uh, you make me sound like a mad scientist in a laboratory. <laughs> no, brother, brother Joseph is is Igor. <laughs> brother, okay. let us go to the recording studio, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what, what, we, what we concocted in the madman's lab, the the mad scientist. I heard you talk about the mad scientist. What we talked about uh, is the Our Father as a Trinitarian prayer. And I actually uh, wrote a, um, subsequent to recording it, I wrote an odd rem on the same subject. But of course, if you read the odd rem, you won't, you, you won't get everything that's in the Reconquest episode. It's actually um, something that is, it's, it's an important question, you know, theologically. We, can, we can't talk about politics all the time, because ultimately, um, as Belloc said, I'll, I'll channel my inner Belloc, all, all human conflict is ultimately religious, right? All, 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 hum, all, all human con and Belloc was actually quoting uh, a bishop, uh, an English bishop. All, uh, all human conflict is ultimately theological in nature. And uh, I think that's correct. And, um, you know, the, the Our Father, what, you know, who can call God Father and why? And what's our claim to call God Father? And who are we actually addressing when we say... Our Father is it the Trinity, as some people say, or is it uh, God the Father, the first person of the Holy Trinity? So um, these questions and more will be answered on tonight's Reconquest. Wow, interesting. Looking forward to it. That sounds fantastic. Uh, catch that tonight at uh, eight Eastern, seven Central. Of course, uh, all the previous episodes. I have ordered up that Reconquest episode one eleven and one twelve. Those are Schofield Bible ones, right? 
111 and 112, yes, sir. 111 and 112 uh, to be digitally uh, re, uh, not that there's anything wrong with them, remastered and put to the top of the page at podcast.crusadechannel.com at Crusade Max. Um, uh, because people are seeking them out and uh, people are when I tell someone about the, the Schofield Bible or whatever and I tell them I'm like dude you don't know what you're talking that's not <laughs> that is not the Israel that is in the Old Testament uh, not all of them get upset and uh, some of them actually go really well what is Whoa, I got a live one here. Well, I, here. <laughs> I got a sucker over here. Uh, here, let me, <laughs> let, me, let me send you the podcast at crusadechannel.com. So. Well, the, the, if you look at the, if you look at the um, comments on, because those shows are put on YouTube, thanks to Steve Cunningham. Yep. And if you look at the comments on them, there was a guy who said, I was a Protestant. I, I, he said, I'm, I am a Protestant, and I'm grateful for these videos. Because there are, there are people whose uh, um, eyes, scales are falling off of when they, when they hear this stuff. They'd never heard it before. They don't know the background to this. Well, I and think it's, a, it, it's an easy case to make. And maybe, or, or, okay, it's not easy, but it, the, a case is to be made that maybe one of the reasons why the, uh, Protestantism seems so, um, uh, so ubiquitous here in the United States and why so many people uh, uh, gravitate towards or to practice it, 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 you can make the case that it, well, it is because of that Zionist component. Because it is the one thing that unifies all of your different denominations. It's the state yeah. of Israel. Well, the, you know, there's a handful of there's a handful there are a handful of Protestants who don't uh, yes. fall for the Zionists, and, and and it's and it's again there. <laughs> the, the original Protestant uh, revolutionaries were with this stuff at all. It was these weird sects in England that 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 concocted this stuff, and part of it, I think, was the whole British Israel uh, wacko theory. That the lost tribes ended up in in, in Great Britain. <laughs> I look up if you're not familiar with this. Look up British Israel, and you'll you'll you know you'll you'll open up a whole can of nonsense and see that there's a that there's this whole weird universe of weird thinking out there, which has it that the British people are the descendants of the ten tribes. Well, I mean, is any of that related to Joseph of Arimathea going and establishing Glastonbury? That's, uh, you know, I don't know. I doubt it because that's a Catholic tradition that's... Uh, that's what I thought, right. But I, 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 they're talking about a mass migration, you know, the ten tribes when they were... When they were oh, Lord. Uh, when they were scattered <laughs> hither and yon that they somehow ended up in England and... Uh, yeah, it's it's nuts. I mean, like you know, as as if then why don't the English speak Hebrew and what you know why why aren't they a little bit more tan? You know, it, but it it makes no sense. Um, but like many things that that make no sense, it's it's uh, been imbibed by by people and and, and favorite. I'm not sure that the British Israel theory is why those weird British sects were promoting Zionism, but it's certainly it's certainly uh, there's a history there. To to the to this, and that's what that's what uh, infected Schofield. He went to England. He hung out with the Plymouth Brethren, 
and he imbibed their stuff, and he came over here and wrote the Schofield Reference Bible. Brother, this, it's, it, that's exactly what uh, it's your, your, your host here has been saying, that if you go and you immerse yourself with these people, which is why I say turn, whatever you do, turn Fox and Newsmax and the, and the, uh, the televised organs, if you will, of Zionism, turn them off. Dude, they are, they are, it is, and if you're on social media and you're getting, and you're seeing it, you're being bombarded by it, turn it off. Turn it off. Yeah. Leave oh, yeah. it. No, because no. the electronic it's... impulses you don't realize are having an effect on your mind. These people are good at what they do. They're really good at it. The stuff works. So just be very, very cautious because like Schofield, you can be digitally propagandized. So, uh. Brother, uh, thank you very much. Great uh, episode of Wisdom Vins here. Uh, Fox News got so bad with all Zionism all the time that Maggie had to put the Food Network on just now. <laughs> Even though it was playing in the background. <laughs> the Pioneer Woman never lets me down. Pioneer Woman never lets us down. So <laughs> Unless she puts, unless she's cooking the, the homemade pizza she's making and I look up and in the background yeah, well, is an Israeli watch, flag. Just watch. When she starts putting up kosher recipes, then you know to turn her off. <laughs> And that was just a joke. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Hey, we could all use a little levity. <laughs> well, thanks, Mike. I, I, I'm going to go put on my teaching cap here and, and propagandize young minds. All right, brother. Well, uh, uh, great success with that. Thank you, sir. <laughs> all right. God bless, brother. God bless you, too, and all our listeners. All right. We'll talk soon. All episodes of Reconquest available as podcast at Crusade Channel at podcast.crusadechannel.com.